Good evening, everyone. Good evening. You've tuned in to Paradigm Shifters, people making a difference in the collective. We keep hearing that this is the time of the great shift, and I think of it as the time of waking up. And there are some wonderful people that are helping wake us up. And my guest tonight is going to talk to us about Sai Baba, Sai Baba who recently passed, and a lot of us are assuming he's going to do even more powerful work from the other side. But my guest went and lived in his ashram off and on for, what, 30 years? And my guest is Jack Hawley, who's also the author of The Bhagavad Gita and the Walkthrough for Westerners, so we can understand that great old book. So welcome to the show, Jack. Thank you, Veronica. Glad to be here. Yeah, now how do you feel about, did you know that uh, Sai Baba was going to leave? Yes, well, uh, I did uh, probably a, a month before he left. Okay. The the communiques from India were here in the states now, but the communiques from India were uh, fast and furious, and uh, all kinds of conjecturing going on and so forth. And uh, our last trip there, we, uh, my wife and I, even talked about it uh, privately. We said, "Gee, it doesn't you know he doesn't look that well, and who knows he might be leaving sooner than he originally had told us." Well, you know, he's the manifestation king in many ways. I know he's a very, very, very uh, realized being. But did he say that he was going to pass? Did he ever announce when he would die or yes. when he would transit? All of his life, all of his uh, uh, the people, his devotees, have thought that he was going to die at age 96. Oh, okay. And, uh, and he's now, this year, 85 in India terms. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but one time I was in the uh, the parlor with him and the boys up on the mountaintop. He used to take some of his students and some of his uh, adults, uh, and I think I was hopefully one of the adults. He used to take <laughs> us up on the mountaintop and, and we'd talk. And uh, he woke up one morning and he was talking to the boys in the parlor and I was there and he said, you know, I'm not going to uh, 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 have my birthday celebration too much bother. And the boys were all hurt. Oh, no, no, Swami, we have to have this celebration. He said, no, no. He said, too much traffic, thousands of th- hundreds of thousands of people come. It's a big problem. He said, I don't think I'll do it. He was kidding. And then at that time, though, he dropped uh, the notion that, and I also might leave this body earlier than I uh, than you think I will. That's hmm. the way he put it. Hmm. Uh, and did he and, say why? Um, yeah, well, no, he didn't. He never says why. Hmm. Uh, but in this case, everybody everybody is going crazy wondering why. And I think really uh, well, the, the story that I've heard that's most plausible to me is that uh, the lunar calendar has to make adjustments to our calendar. Hmm. And uh, so over those years, he, he said that he's 96 this year. In the oh, lunar I way. see. Oh, that's interesting. And then there's an old fellow, that, a good friend of mine, uh, now has passed, but he's an old fellow sitting on the veranda with me there in India, uh, Mr. Gopal Rao. And he, when he turned 90, uh, Swami started referring to him as 100. Oh, interesting. So, and he, so he, at first he would correct him because you know, he would introduce him to some of the students or to some other people there. He'd say, well, this is Mr. Gopal Rao. He's 100 years old. Hmm. And he said, no, 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 Swami, I'm only 93, I'm only 94, I'm only 97. <laughs> so finally he passed away, and uh, when he died, Swami said, yes, he was 100 years old when he passed. <laughs> so, so it's the Vedic lunar calendar that, uh, that people now are falling back on, trying to understand, you know, human beings being what we are, try to understand why did he tell us 96, and he, here he is 85 leaving. <laughs> well, and my my assumption is that these people don't live in a fixed environment. They're in a very creative environment. Is that right? I oh, mean, yeah. You know well, what I mean? Is like who who would live by an actual fixed rule, a prediction? Well, there's another there's another story that I like very much, and that is this: Swami is time. Hmm. Now it sounds crazy, and I apologize for how how uh, mystical it sounds, but that's uh, he. He's beyond it, is what that really means. He mm-hmm. is it, he's beyond it, and time is uh, more or less a human, worldly construct, 
and he lives in realms that are far, far beyond that. I, I would go with that. That, to me, makes incredible sense. And you can't be too mystical on this show because people are they're <laughs> oh, accustomed great. to getting with the grit and they're accustomed <laughs> to getting with other dimensions. <laughs> okay, very, very good. So that, uh, and, anyway. But I had this other question. I'm going, you know what? The world, the turbulence and the shift and the buildup is so incredible right now. And I thought, I wonder if he's just making steps to be in a better position, like to be in another level of... How nice. That's, that, by the way, that's as good a uh, assumption as any of them I've heard. Oh, good. And, well, and I think, by the way, there's, there's no question about the truth of it. Hmm. See, all of these things that we're talking about, yes, it could be the uh, Vedic lunar calendar, yes, it could be uh, his being time and so forth, and now yours, uh, it's, they're all true. That's the nice thing about living at this level. They're all true. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I wanted to read, it was really fun this morning, because I wanted to read enough material to kind of really get the essence of him, and I even read some of the stuff that debunks him. Uh-huh. But what I found over and over again as I flipped through some things is that amazing transcendent light that comes up through the material. And that, to me, is the uh, the proof, you know, that oh, yes. something's oh, nice. wonderful here. Oh, you know, that's really true. Uh, when I was deep into writing that Bhagavad Gita book. Which I love, I, uh, incidentally. I've got it all dog-eared already. Oh, how, how nice that is. <laughs> Your life will never be the same. I hope not. Yeah, okay. we're, we're growing here. But anyway, I, would, uh, I was deep into that, and I could really uh, sense something going on that was beyond my ability, uh, my worldly ability as Jack the regular guy, and even beyond my ability in many respects uh, as Jack the, the spiritual seeker. Uh, and my wife would come into the room, and she'd see me sitting over. We have a one-room place with a, a little bathroom and a, and a uh, bathroom, uh, kitchen off it. But uh, in our little studio apartment over in India, in the ashram, we'd, uh, she'd come in. She'd look at me sitting over, writing deep into it for hours every day, and she'd see light around me. Huh. Now I don't see those things, but uh, if there and if the, if it was there, it was really the, the light of that love that came up off the page with you, coming through me and into that book. How wonderful! And actually, Jack, if I remember correctly, you were told from your higher guidance that it was a thing for you to do, right? Uh, yes. Well, uh, interesting. What it was is uh, my higher guidance was such a Sai Baba. He uh, he came in to my mind with his voice, and he said, do the Gita. This was after I'd written a couple of books on spirituality, one of them a management book that became a bestseller. Yeah, yeah I've been looking through it, but I've been more keeping going with this Bhagavad Gita. Actually. Yeah, and so anyway, then, so, and I didn't want to do it, and I was a little bit lazy, and I said, no, Swami. I, in, inside, I'm carrying on this argument with him. I said, I can't do that. I'm... I'm not Indian. My background isn't that. I'm a diff- from a different culture. I don't know Krishna. I don't know the Vedas that much. I, and I have a hard time with Sanskrit. I, I butcher it. Swami, I can't do this. And he kept at it. Do the Gita. Do that. It just kept <laughs> coming through so quickly, so so strongly, that I finally, after maybe six weeks of trying to hold it off, uh, finally he, uh, I said, okay, I'll do it. And as soon as I said I'll do it, then everything, as you well know, then providence moved to and everything came my way. Hmm. People gave me uh, other books on the Gita, commentaries uh, on the Gita. I was invited to the right, uh, as a speaker, to the right conferences and so forth. So uh, so the higher guidance, is the, my point to, to make, is uh, that it was him. Mm-hmm. It was really clearly him. Mm-hmm. Now, if I say that on uh, most uh, shows, uh, people uh, start uh, scratching their heads. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, I think with you, it's quite different. No, we can we can handle that beautifully, and we w- <laughs> and we want that information. So I want to go back a bit and say, um, can you repeat? I know you told it on the last interview, but if you could tell us how you got involved with Sai Baba. Oh yes, well, uh, oh boy, many years ago, a, f- a fellow, a friend of mine, who actually had worked for me in uh, one of the aerospace companies in in uh, California, uh, he. Went his way, and I went my way. And then two years later, I get a, uh, a postcard from him, uh, written in pencil, saying, Dear Jack, this is your lucky day, Holly. <laughs> and 
he, and he said that he went on to say that he's uh, sitting on the porch. He used the word porch rather than veranda, which is the Sanskrit. But he was sitting on the porch of a uh, of a great holy man in India who is indeed the uh, embodiment of uh, divinity. Wow. And he said, so go and uh, buy this book. It just came out. He said, buy this book in a certain place in Hollywood. So and I live on the beach in California at that time, Southern California. So going to Hollywood was uh, really quite a little chore. Mm-hmm. But I ran out, jumped in my little car, and drove to Hollywood. <laughs> uh, found that place. It's a little side street with a uh, such a size center on the street. Bought the book immediately. I came home. Uh, so the lapse time was probably an hour and a half, two hours. As I walked in the door, I had the book in my hand and had a picture of Sai Baba on the cover. It was, uh, and, and uh, my wife looked at me, ah! and she she uh, was very startled. I said, "Wow, what is it, Weez? She said, "That man on the cover came to me in a dream a couple of weeks ago." Wow! And uh, she said, and it, it, she said, it was such a personal and important dream, and she snickered. She said, "I I didn't want to tell you about it." <laughs> So you guys had a personal invitation from two different messages. Yes. Wow. So those kinds of things, uh, in the 30-plus years that we've been uh, doing our this great God adventure that we've been on, those kind of things become commonplace. I mean, they happen every day, all day long, uh, throughout our entire lives, in our relationships with our children, everything. Wow. And you, too, had lost your... um, child had you not had lost your yeah. oldest son yes yeah, yeah. we uh that was what turned me toward uh spirituality uh, more clearly than ever before i'd always been sort of a oh, a dreamy kid mm-hmm. and uh and i was brought up a catholic but for some reason the you know the the church part of it uh as much as i liked the the basic faith the church part of it just didn't matter to me anymore Mm-hmm. So I drifted away from that, and then I was uh, teaching at Cornell uh, one day a week. I was, we were living in Boston at the time, and I was teaching at Cornell University, upstate New York. So it's about maybe an hour and a half plane ride. And, uh, and I got word that our eldest child, uh, a boy, Danny, uh, had passed away, he, and he, it was a swimming accident. So uh, Pretty incredible message that is. Oh, yeah, really. So we, I didn't know what to do. I just drove the 60 or whatever it is, 50, 60 miles up to Syracuse, jumped on an airplane, and on the way home, I was, uh, I was just so lost, and I didn't know which way to turn, and there was such a empty, empty feeling in me. I didn't know how to handle it. Uh, I saw a priest, a Catholic priest, sitting maybe three rows ahead of me. He also had an aisle seat, but on the other side of the plane. So I and I saw there was an empty seat across the aisle from him, so we could very comfortably have just leaned toward one another and talked. So I made up a little story in my mind. Well, okay, I'll buy him a beer. I'll go up and say, <laughs> hey, Father, would you like a beer? And then we can have a, and I could open up the subject of uh, how lost I was. And, and I, I rationalized it, saying, well, he's trained in this. He knows how to do all this. But, I, Veronica, I could never do that. For some reason, I sat there for that hour and a half on the plane, two hours, and I couldn't move out of my seat and it wasn't until years later i realized why and that was my turning point i i turned away from organized religion and i turned into my own inner truth Hmm. and started mining that for the next umpteen years and that uh, phase of mining yourself and that grief is a really deep process isn't it oh it's a deep and by the way in in a sense Maybe that's the, the, and this sounds so trite, but the, the hidden blessing in that deep anguish is uh, that extra little oomph motivation to explore further and thereby change lives. Right, and the, and the other part of it is that most of what's on the outside doesn't really make that much sense anymore, does it? Well, how nicely put it. It uh, not only doesn't make sense, it's all an illusion anyway. That's right. <laughs> just make believe. <laughs> so um, this was a couple of years after your son's passing, so you and Louise popped over to India? Yeah, well, actually, I did it first, and mm-hmm. I was such a skeptic. You know, I, by the way, I, living in Southern California, every seventh person you meet on the street is uh, has the answer. Mm-hmm. Of course, yes. Of some kind. <laughs> Somebody called so, it the smorgasbord of possibilities. Yes, it, and by the way, it's a wonderful place to live. For that reason, and yet uh, you, you get a little bit jaded. Yeah. 
So, I I, but I'd heard that. I got that letter from my friend Bob, and I, uh, and, and Louise, God bless her. You know, we have a fam, big family. She says, "Why don't you go? You've always wanted to go. Why don't you go?" So I, uh, before I did, Mister Practical Consultant, I I drummed up some business in Japan, and then some business in Hong Kong, mm-hmm. some business in. Uh, Thailand, not Malaysia, but Thailand, and then into India. That was really my objective. I didn't. All the business was just, I think, my rationalization that if I turn, if this fellow turned out to be a total fraud, right. <laughs> then at least I would have made some money going over and coming back. Yeah, you're not losing anything, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and uh, how funny. So anyway, I got there finally to India, and I was so delighted. But I had some kind of a illness, you know, traveler's illness, how you get it, especially in Asia. Mm. So I was a very... Turista. Mm-hmm. Oh boy, I was, I was in the, hospital, or in the uh, hotel, and the next morning I thought, well, I have never seen him in the flesh. I'd seen uh, videos of him, but I'd never seen him in the flesh, and I wanted to see him, but I knew that I'd have probably three more days of this uh, heavy-duty stomach problem. So, uh, but I thought, I'm going to jump in a taxi and go out to his ashram, which is only 11 miles from where that hotel was in Bangalore. Mm. So I uh, did that, but I was in such bad shape as we drove along. I reached up a couple of times to tap the cabbie on the shoulder and say, please take me back to the hotel. But I never did. Again, something held me back. I got there. I walked. There's a a big gate that trucks can go through, but then there's a small gate, you know, like a door in Mm. the gate. So I I stepped over that threshold of that small gate into the ashram, uh, that was the ashram in Whitefield. He has several ashrams around. And uh, and I immediately felt good. And I thought to myself, oh, how nice. This this illness of mine that I thought was going to knock me down for three days is all over. I was I was pleased with that. And I watched the monkeys on the wall, and I watched the people. And I and he came around and uh, looked at me very closely, which is to, to them, and I didn't know it, a, a huge blessing and can change your life. And then I... Uh, uh, at that's the monkey? Have... When the monkey looks at you closely? That's... No, no, no. It's Sai Baba. I'm oh, sorry, oh, no, Sai Baba. Monkey. Okay. Well, thank you for, yeah, <laughs> correct me on that. Okay. Uh, so anyway, I was, I was just sort of taken with all, the, all the, uh, the display, all the show part of it. So, uh, but then when I stepped out through that little gate again at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, uh, I was immediately sick. So oh, I went back to the hotel. I had a terrible night just as bad as the night before. Got up the next day, and I thought, well, I'll just go out there one more time to see how I feel. I got out there that day, and as soon as I stepped through that little gate again, I immediately felt well. Hmm. Then it dawned on me, oh, for me, there's something very, very special here. And that changed the whole nature of my trip. It changed the, I was there for a month, and it changed the whole, uh, everything about me. My mind changed. I said, oh, I'm going to be receptive to this. This is, this is going to be my receptive meditation, if you will. Wow. So I uh, opened up and just uh, drank it all in, still with some skepticism, but, uh, but not totally anymore. So how did he look? When he looked at you, you felt, did you feel his looking at you? Did you feel his power? Um, what did you, what does he at like? At that time, uh, no, I was I was so you know I'm an anthropologist, uh, so I, I was so into the observational thing, mm-hmm. and so into uh, making mental notes on what was happening and so forth that I missed it. I missed mm-hmm. that. If it happened, uh, and my guess is knowing what I do now, it probably did. But I was just uh, too involved in my mind rather than in my heart. That's good though. I mean, at least you know that, huh? Uh, well, you know what? Two years later, then this is some twenty years later. Uh, he told when he told me to do the Gita, do the Gita, and then maybe uh, six weeks after I finally agreed to do it, he came over when I was on the veranda and he stopped. And by that time, by the way, I'd been so many years with him, there was no need for any uh, human kind of repartee. We didn't have to be nice to each other. There's no personality involvement whatsoever. Hmm. But he just looked at me with a very uh, straight, almost stern face right in my eye. And I just, the same thing. I didn't return it with a smile or anything. I was the same way. I was just so serious. And uh, and he maybe held that look for about eight full seconds. Now, the, the saying over there is that if he looks at you for even a blink of an eye, your life has changed. Hmm. So there he was doing something. I didn't know what, 
with me for eight full seconds. It's kind of like a Shakti path. That's so, exactly what it was. Yeah. The fellow behind me, a saint Indian fellow, very knowledgeable, he said, Jack, he said, that was so powerful. He told me the next day, so it was so powerful that I had to go home and meditate after that. Oh, wow, that's wonderful. And I said, what do you think it was? His name was Venkatesh. I said, what do you think it was, Venkatesh? He said, he's imbuing something in you. He's, he's just giving something very, very important. And hmm. he couldn't get over it. Hmm. And I couldn't either. So why me? So. And why not? <laughs> nice. that's, that's right, and I'm even learning to say that to myself too. Oh, isn't that wonderful? So, so what? I don't even know where to go with this. So. <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> because well, what's really interesting? I already said this, but as I'm flipping through stuff that I printed out, uh, people's experiences or things about him, um, the feeling is a little like going in that door. That you talked yeah. about the door of the gate, I oh, can feel okay. the energy. See, and you're you're the kind that'll trust your trust that feeling immediately. Now. Yeah, more right. now than I used to. I used to go, yeah, you got to think this out. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I know the feeling. It helps to get a little older, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? Yeah. So tell us some more. So you and Louise started going off to uh, Bangalore. Bangalore is that Bang- it? Uh, Bangalore. Mm-hmm. Now it's they they changed the name to uh, Bangalore. Or something like that. Bungalow. But anyway, it's, it's Bangalore. They've changed many of the names that got the British uh, uh, monikers back in the old days. They've changed oh. them to their, their regular language. Which means it's harder for us to figure out what we're talking about right I now. Know <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's okay. I'm just really interested in the, um, the fact you guys went for so long and the fact you had many, many, many experiences. And uh, we hear stories of, um, in fact, we used to sit around, my cousins and I, and joke about just extending our hands and, and imagining either Rabuti or jewels coming off them, but we never got that. So okay. maybe okay. you can tell us about that. Well, one of the first was uh, we went, uh, again, my wife and I went up to a mountaintop uh, in Utikamund, uh, which is a wonderful old hill station in uh, the western Ghat Mountains in South India. So we went up there and uh, spent a couple of weeks up there and uh, with him and uh, maybe two, three hundred other people. Uh, and then the day we were coming back, my wife got very ill, and the, the taxi ride was awful for her. She slept most of the way, so it's about a nine or twelve hour taxi ride. Bumpy, oh my! Hot, stinky. Uh, so she slept most of the way. Then when we finally arrived at the ashram, uh, I was very concerned, and she couldn't sit up. She as soon as she'd sit up, she'd roll over, and uh, she was terribly disoriented. So I was really worried about that. So I left her in my room in the care of a friend, and I went to Darshan, which is when he comes out and walks among the people. So I went to Darshan, and I sat there, and, and people were so glad to have him back, by the way, that there must, must have been maybe five or 6,000 people there. Wow. So for some, some magic reason, and you know how that works, too, I got the front row seat. Mm-hmm. So I sat there in the front row, and he came out maybe eight minutes later, ten minutes later, and he's looking as if he's looking through the whole big crowd of 6,000 people. He's looking for somebody, and he spied me. He walked immediately over to me, and, uh, and I, I knelt up. I was sitting on the ground with my hands uh, folded in a namaste. And I knelt up, and I said, Swami, and he said, I know, I know. And he swished his hand uh, in, in the air and made vibhuti. So out of his fingers come this ash. Oh, wow. And it filled my hand. Wow. And... Uh, and I was so pleased with this. He was then he started walking around and talking with other people. So I took a little bit of it on my tongue, folded my hand, got up and left, went back to my room immediately, uh, gave that to my wife. I said, "Here, Swami made this for you. Gave it to Louise." And uh, she, you know, she was really in bad shape. She she couldn't go. You know, by the way, and there at that time we had no furniture on the floor. So she was on her little cotton mattress on the floor. I gave it to her and I sat there next to her and uh, watched and waited and waited for a lightning bolt or some magical thing to hit. Nothing nothing came. But then uh, maybe three minutes later, she uh, got up, walked to the bathroom, and, uh, and then came back from the bathroom. So... So that was the bolt of lightning. Before that, she, she would, couldn't even sit up, and suddenly she's walking. We're both accepting it, 
and that you know that sort of that subtlety is uh, earmark of a lot of the things that happen there. Oh, if wow. you're totally left-brained, then you can uh, you can write it off. But if you're not, if you if you have that openness to this uh, this mysterious presence, then uh, then you start seeing it and becoming more and more aware of it. Hmm. Wow! Isn't that amazing? Eh? So. Did you chant? Um, what did what did you do? What's a normal routine there? What is he? What was he like in uh, a normal routine? Like you get up? Is it always like you get up and do a meditation? Do you go meditate with him like they do in the yes, well, uh, Maharishi areas? Yeah, the normal routine would be to get up early in the morning and go and do various puja kind of things. Uh, Twenty-one ohms. Uh, he wouldn't be there, uh, but you do that, and then you'd uh, uh, do some some of their Sanskrit praying, mm-hmm. and that's maybe for about an hour, hour and a half. Then uh, grab a little bite to eat. By the way, by this time, by the half of the time you have a bite to eat, there's maybe three hours have passed in the day. Mm. And then uh, he comes out in the morning. He would come out in the morning, and everybody would sit there. And every day, on average, there would be from, well, let's say at a very low, 2,000 people, and at the very high end would be twenty or 30,000. Mm. So it was a, you can see it's a busy uh place that has to be quite well, you know, crowd controlled, you know, sort of uh, Disneylandish in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was very quiet, too. All those people, all those 10 or 15,000 people would be sitting on the floor there in this mandir uh, waiting, hmm. uh, quiet. And then, uh, Would you, know, you say the atmosphere was one of reverence? And did you ever feel that kind of congestion to get in crowds? Uh, like at a rock concert or something. Yeah, and you, you do both. Again, it depends on what's inside, I guess. But uh, the av- the uh, at- the at- atmosphere was indeed very reverential, hmm. tremendously devotional. Hmm. Uh, but of course, there are the looky loos. There are the seekers that are just coming through. Uh, there are the people that are talking and being shushed by others. So, so the human life goes on there also. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, uh, well, people go there for various reasons, as you well know. But some of them go there because they're so ill. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, somebody would collapse, and they'd uh, pick them up and carry them out very, very nicely. By the way, they, you know, they they had that stuff down pat. Did but, they have uh, a little hospital and so on? Oh, uh, let me tell you about that. They have a little general hospital, but they also have a huge, four hundred and fifty bed hospital that oh. does uh, super specialty kinds of things. Hmm. And that's all free. Wow. And it's all uh, money that Sai Baba has uh, steered from people who give him money into these kinds of uh, things for the poor people. Hmm. So he has two of those huge hospitals now. He has uh, one, two, I think four or six university campuses uh, I know the people on the trust. You know, the trust is, the, by the way, he won't have anything to do with any of this. He's strictly the holy man. He's strictly the person who is uh, living at the other plane. Mm-hmm. So these worldly kinds of things, uh, he doesn't have anything to do with. So he leaves it to a trust. He calls it the trust. And it's all very legal mm-hmm. uh, and so forth. And it's very uh, sticklerish. They they really make sure that there's nothing that goes on or wrong there. But uh, all, and they always... The, the trust, I know them, they always uh, live close to the edge. Swami doesn't worry about it at all, of course. He knows what's happening and what's coming. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, they just uh, take the money that comes in one door and put it out the other door to help people and to do good things in the world. And, well, by the way, those hospitals don't charge one penny. Wow. Now, these are state-of-the-art uh, hospitals. A friend of ours is, is a director of a, a hot, big hospital in San Francisco. She came over with us one time, and uh, she said, my God, this hospital is uh, it's as good as any place. And she then talked, you know, space per patient and all the message, me- measurements that they use. This is a fine place. She couldn't get over it. Wow. Well, tell me this, <clears throat> excuse me, the people that come to see him because they have dreadful illnesses and so on, I mean, I can really understand that. So is that, are those people also included in the hospital A and B? Do those hospitals feel the way it does when you entered that small gate to the ashram? Yes, they do. Huh. I forgot about that. I hadn't, you know, I don't go to the hospital. I'm very healthy. 
but I had to go for some reason three or four years ago. And when I stepped through the gate to the huge hospital, there's two huge ones, to uh, the huge hospital that's in uh, the south, you know, in the in the boondocks, uh, the same feeling. And I said to Louise, I said, we forget, we forget how beautiful it is. Hmm. And she, Louise, by the way, hates hospitals. She's been in and out of them so much, she just can't stand them. And her first reaction when we walked into that hospital was, oh, my God, this place I could get well in. Oh. And so do people with real extreme illnesses get well there? I mean, do you know what I mean? Is yes. Does he have a history of the healings of extreme, you know, the, uh, I, You know, I, yeah, the, uh, the figures I've heard, but these are early ones, and I don't know if they've changed in the, over the last few years, but the figures are that they have, oh, yes, thank you for reminding me. That woman that came over there, she, of course, uh, drilled into that very deeply. We talked with the hospital director for a long time. And uh, there, uh, the figures that they, I think, of their heart transplant patients are way up there among the, the highest in the world. So wow. the, the care is really great from the medical standpoint. Hmm. From another standpoint, uh um, you know, I th- now that you've asked, I think the hospitals are really for people who are who don't have that healing capacity, so they go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Whereas people who have a healing capacity will sit there and uh, slowly but surely, gradually, they find themselves getting better. Hmm. So, so there's let's say there's the spiritual healing as well as the medical healing. And, of course, in, in my world, I'm told all the time that healing is as much up to the healee as it is to the healer. Oh, uh, <laughs> as a matter of fact, over there, the, they would say uh, it's all up to the healee and the healer, uh, if they do their job well, can facilitate that uh, healee uh, making the connections so that they can heal themselves. Right, the awakening kind of thing, eh? Yes, yes. Or the raising of the fields and frequencies. So, wow, it's it's it would be, I always, after I talked to you before, I wanted to go to India really badly. <laughs> I haven't made it yet, but I will yet, you know. Uh-huh. So the ashram is going to continue in the hospitals and the trust will continue with all that? Yes, there's a, it's so nice. There's a woman, uh, an Indian woman in Cleveland who's a, a friend of uh, ours, uh, She's a friend of a friend of ours. We don't really know her. Her name is Seema. Mm-hmm. And she's been uh, channeling Swami for the last several days. And of all those pages of channeling that she's come up with, there's one sentence that just just leaps out at me. And it's this, this is Swami speaking through her. It says, I have gone nowhere. <laughs> I believe that. I believe yeah, that, Jack. I, I really oh, do. Me too. I mean, it's so very clear. Mm-hmm. Now, I have gone nowhere. It's, it's just a matter of uh, we have to look at look toward the light in a little different way. And mm-hmm. uh, and people, my wife and I have already done this, really. But but most people who are his devotees will have to uh, learn how to cross that tremendously profound, uh, minute space from uh, from Swami the form to the formless. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, going to be good for everybody. Well, now, if you're thinking about him and you're thinking about your time in the ashram, was there a specific feeling, um, ambiance, vibration that you would, if your eyes were closed and you were in a darkened room, you would recognize as Swami's? Um, you see what I mean? Is like yeah. we do have the ability to recognize one another's energy imprints, don't we? Okay, I'm thinking about that. Uh, I, I'm not trying to trip you up. I just think it's... No, no, I'm just... I'm, this is a wonderful question. I love the question. That's why I'm, I have to think about it. I think the first thing that comes to my mind is love. Hmm. The next thing that comes to my mind is peace. Hmm. And uh, and it's inner peace, not peace in the world. And it's, a, it's quite different because those of us who are totally involved in peace in the world uh, get caught uh, looking in the wrong direction. So, uh, so I, I read something, not meaning to change the subject, but just sort of amp up this subject. I read something about how there was, a, I think it was in El Salvador or something, that somebody had defaced one of the posters talking about him. 
and the people were incensed that they had done that, and he just smiled. Somebody channeled from there to uh, India or whatever something that he said, which was basically, that doesn't touch me. That's nothing to, that's nothing to do with me. Oh, I'm just here for love and oh, blah, yeah. blah, blah. So they put that up on top of the poster, apparently. Whatever it was that was channeled was a small thing. Oh, that's nice. That's a nice. See, there will be, there will be 10,000 of those stories, and there, I think there already are like 4,000. It's, it's wonderful how it'll, you know, people will do that, and, uh, and, and uh, many of the stories will be true. Others will be uh, fantasies. Well, in your book, uh, the Bhagavad Gita, you know, your writing of it was really very powerful, but it really, what touched me the most was thinking about the word Atma, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that's what I, I keep thinking for mm-hmm. people who don't know the word, it's just that part of you that goes on and on always, and is absolutely unscathed by worldly drama, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And he seemed to talk about that, so then we've had Bin Laden killed and people doing all kinds of reactions about that, and I just translated that, uh, yeah. That's just a drama that's been moved. Yes, that's uh, right. Yeah. And the the Dalai Lama is here in uh, California. He was just at USC yesterday. Hmm. There's a little piece in the paper about uh, uh, how he reacted. Somebody in, in the audience uh, interaction party asked him about this uh, uh, murder over there, the assassination. And he said uh, something to the effect that... Uh, it is part of the drama of life, yes, A. But B, there are some people who uh, uh, will, uh, will help the world to be rid of. Now, that might, I don't know if whether that's the newspaper reporter's uh, interpretation or what, but that, uh, I was interested to see what he would say. Mm-hmm. That is interesting, isn't it? So we go back into your book, and I go, well, Krishna would say maybe it was the dharma of the warrior who assassinated him, maybe. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Uh, yeah, uh, that's really right, and he'd say uh, that it's uh, it, it's all part of the that karmic drama. Yeah, exactly. That is this world, yeah. and the way to uh, to uh, get past that is to turn Godward, to turn toward divinity. That divinity is in yourself, especially. Mm-hmm. Turn there, find that, and you won't be touched by any of these uh, kinds of problems. I, I love Winston Churchill. Somebody, I just quoted this to some friends that were visiting yesterday. Uh, they were talking again about uh, Osama bin Laden. And I, I recalled, I think it was Winston Churchill, you might know better than I, uh, who, who uh, talked, about, talked about it this way. He said, uh, when we sleep at night, there are rough men who stay awake, ready to inflict harm on those who wouldn't inflict harm on us. Hmm. Now, that's an interesting way of looking at that uh, that SEAL Team 6 or whatever they call it mm-hmm. that uh, did that job in uh, Pakistan. The other interesting thing is about celebrating his death. I'm not really sure I could do that. I don't. Me too. I know. Yeah, it's yeah, not it, a soccer game. I said to Louise last night, we were watching it on television, I said, this isn't a soccer game that we won. Yeah, exactly. I know. That's, yeah, that's right. but it, it's actually really good material for all of this, um, this teachings. For example, of Sai Baba, of the, you know, the the love for all of it, and yes. that he's unscathed, and we're essentially unscathed. See, and, the, and, and the peacefulness, I think, that I go to right away is that being unscathed, that capacity that has developed in me over these years to not be knocked off track by these. Uh, dramatic worldly uh, things that happen. It's a great teaching right now, isn't it? Yes, it is. Huh? Yeah. And whenever we have these major incidents, it's a tremendous time for teaching, isn't it? It is a tremendous time for teaching. So tell me more about Sai Baba. Tell me about some other experiences that you had. And I'm really happy to hear about the hospitals. I think that's great. But oh, I, yeah. I love to hear about the healings in this those... Is, yeah, this um, is... Uh, that's... You know, see, my wife and I have been uh, separated from the worldly Sai Baba for maybe the last five or eight years, Mm. which means that all the uh, hospitals and all those things uh, are what goes on there. And we see them and are are amazed by them, but our trip has been so much more internal than that. Mm -hmm. And this was through his direction, too. He... uh, 
he steered us so clearly, steered us that uh, our thing is to not to do that outward savor uh, necessarily, but to do the kind of inner things that uh, that are required when you uh, write the, you know write a book like like the Bhagavad Gita book. Yeah, and I told you the uh, I told oh, I told you <laughs> in our last interview I asked if you'd had many lifetimes knowing the Gita because uh, uh, you were imbued. Oh yes, I remember that. You were imbued with the information, and that's the whole inner, isn't it? Uh, yes, it is. Yeah, I appreciated that. The uh, one time uh, I was when I was there. Another little story. <clears throat> uh, excuse me. I. Uh, I started spinning downward, and the reason for it is I was going to lose somebody in my family that I loved very much. And I, so my mind started on the downward track, and you know what happens. You know, it feeds off that. Yes. And I, uh, over three days, it got worse and worse. I started uh, thinking of all the good times we've had together, how much I'm going to miss this person, and so forth. So by the end of that three days, I was a mess emotionally. I was, there were tears ready to leap out of my eyes. And uh, Swami, of course, knew this right from the start. I could tell that he, you know, as he walked by, busy with somebody else, never with me. Uh, I could, I could tell that uh, he was aware, of course, of what's happening. And then finally, on the morning of the fourth day, he walked he over past me. He stopped where I was, and he leaned over, and he said, "Stop thinking." <laughs> now, my reaction at that time was, "Stop." thinking <laughs> how can we stop thinking of course i knew that it had to happen and i was just obedient enough i guess to uh to really get into it so i started uh thinking of, of various ways i could substitute good thinking for bad thinking so i uh started with my mantra and then i'd say uh i, I tried one thing after another tagged onto my mantra nothing would work finally the one thing that worked was cleanse my mind hmm. So I would say my mantra, which is Om Sairam. So I'd say, Om Sairam, cleanse my mind. And as soon as I started saying that, then you know how it clicked right into place. All the other things that I tried, I immediately forgot. Hmm. Cleanse my mind. So that was stop thinking, my way of stopping thinking. And within 20 minutes, that deep, deep, awful funk that I was in had started to lift. Hmm. So I knew, oh, good, this is, there's, thank you, Swami. Thank you, Swami, for that. And uh, within an hour, it was gone. Hmm. So I was back on track, and I was feeling good. Now, if you look at that, you, you clearly, this is a matter of mind. Yeah. And the whole thing over there, we've learned over all these years, Veronica, is that it's mind change. It's a, as Swami says, it's a transformation, not just a change of your mind. It's a transformation. It's sort of a total rewiring. Mm-hmm. It's a reprogramming in, in computer terms. It's a transmogrification. It's a paradigm shift on a great inner uh, inner scale. And uh, so what, in essence, what we've learned over all those years there is to uh, do that so that whatever happens in the world, whether it's good karma, bad karma, whatever, it's, we, it's handled with total equanimity. Hmm. That equal equal mindedness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's wonderful, isn't it? Yes. It, it's, well, it's it works for us. It's a bit of a practice. So I'm going to jump around. At least for me, it is. Sometimes I'm really good at that sort of thing. But I think it would be wonderful to be in the presence of one who is so linked with his uh, divinity. It was. Uh, it was. We I mean, it would other. infuse the energy. Sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No. We just looked at each other on the day that he died. It was a very quiet, philosophical day. And we looked at each other, and, and Louise looked at me and said, Hasn't this great God adventure of ours been fun? Oh. So you were in India when he died? No, we were here. Oh, so you were connected with him. Yeah, we were, that's right. And because people fun. say once you're connected with him, you always are, right? Uh, no question. No question. As a matter of fact, it's even more than that. Uh, a little, another little story, if we have time. Please, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, he, those years ago, well, he separated us from him, from the physical body. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had been uh, of a habit of, we had a habit of going into his parlor at night, w- along with many of his students, and being able to sit there and uh, and watch him interact with the students. It's just a wonderful thing. 
I mean, really a great, great blessing, and very few people had that. And then one day, we came back for our annual visit from the States, or I think we were in New Zealand at the time. We came back, and uh, he uh, he didn't leave any word at the door that we could come in. So the people at the door said, I'm sorry, your name isn't on the list, sir. So I tried to argue. I said, oh, no, I've been doing this for years. It was, you know, no, Swami has me there all the time. He said, I'm sorry, so we can't do that. Oh, wow. So uh, Louise, uh, who was at another gate, was running into the same problem. I'm sorry, uh, madam, but your name is not on the list. So we looked at each other. We found ourselves within two or three minutes. Looked at each other glumly. We went over to a little restaurant there in the village, a little typical little Indian village, and we sat and we ordered a baked potato. Neither of us hungry, but we just had to do something to sit in this restaurant. We looked at each other, and uh, and I remember we cut the baked potato down the center, and I gave her some, and I, I have some, or she gave me some, and, I, and then I had my piece. And uh, and I said, you know, we have to uh, stay not just in our spirituality. We've been in our spirituality for so many years. We know that. Even the highest level, we have to bump over and stay in our own divinity. Hmm. And Louise immediately said, that's right, we do. Wow. And that was the beginning. So interesting how he had to separate us from that physical form so that we would get the reality of him. Hmm. So we had years and years, by the time he passed, this body passed, we had years and years of practicing the hard way, learning the hard way, of course, uh, Relating to him, not as the worldly Sai Baba, with all the magic that he does and all the hospitals and all the universities, which, by the way, I taught at for years. Oh, great. But, uh, but as that divinity that resides within us. Mm-hmm. So his passing, at this point, hasn't brought about any change whatsoever. Uh, years ago, in 1988, my son came over, one of my sons came over with us, and uh, and we were there a week, only he's going to be, my son was going to be there for four weeks, and we were going to be there for six months, but uh, uh, after a week, Swami, it came, news came out that Swami had fallen and broken his hip, that was in 1988, this physical Sai Baba had fallen in the, on the wet marble in his bathroom, his door was locked, and he broke his hip, hmm. so... Uh, so uh, then, then he woke up half an hour later. So he was knocked out. Woke up half an hour later. This avatar body walked over the door on a broken hip and unlocked the door. And then, of course, the attendants came in and took care of him. But uh, the next day after that happened, he stood up on his balcony. There's a little. It's only one story above where we sit. On his little balcony, and he uh, talked to us for three hours. Oh my! Maybe, and there were maybe by that time five or six thousand people that had come worried about him. And he uh, talked about for about three hours some about various things. He told the whole story of how the hip was broken and so forth, which would quelch all the rumors. Mm-hmm. You know, thousands of rumors passed by immediately. But uh, then he said, I won't be back for seven more weeks. He said, I have to heal this hip. He said, the, the avatar body uh, has to heal. So, uh, so he said, but I, and he kept repeating this, these, these words. He said, I am not this body. I am not this body. Mm-hmm. So intellectually, I could understand it. Okay, yes, he's a spirit. He's above that. He's beyond it. So he he went away. And during that next seven weeks, my son, of course, went home. But during that next several weeks, his presence became so much more powerful than when that body was there. Oh, my. It was amazing. Well, that's then, a wonderful and, story. And <clears throat> by the time he got back, I was a little disappointed that this body had returned. <laughs> Because uh, he was so clearly, so powerfully there every minute with all of us. So instead of the training wheels of a higher frequency, it's like training wings. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderfully put. I want to say something else, which is uh, so many people are talking about how deceptive he was and how greedy and all of that. And I've heard that off and on for years, and I don't believe it, but I um, read some stuff about it. But then I read an article, which I can't get my fingers on now because this has been a couple of days of many different things, but he said something like, these whatever jewels are not the truth. This is, he, he said something very beautiful about what it is I'm producing. He didn't, these are, I'm paraphrasing, but what it is I'm producing oh, isn't oh, yeah. the goal. 
the goal is being in your divinity. The goal is being beyond your attachment to or your need of any of that sort of thing. Yes. Something like that. It was very beautiful. Well, and I don't know that exact quote, but another one that comes to my mind is uh, that he, he often says this. He says, I will give you what you want so that you will learn to want what I really want to give you. Oh, that, now that touches Yeah, so what do you, in, in other words, all those... I use the word trinkets. He would never use trinkets because they're more than that. But all those things that he had manifest, uh, and I'm looking at the ring on my finger now that he manifested out of thin air. Did you see it? Did you see him manifest it? Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, my right gosh. And one time, by the way, I saw him, a woman was there, a woman from New Zealand, no, from Australia, and he manifested in thin air again uh, earrings for her, and they're two, like, hoop earrings. But when they came out, he looked at it rather... When they came up, meaning when they came together in this thin air, he looked at it with a puzzled look on his face, and he picked up both of them because they were hooked together. So he went, bip, and he broke them apart. He said, there, now you've got your full earrings. So she had an earring for each ear. <laughs> <laughs> did he ever explain how he could do that? And, and when did he yeah. start? Did he start doing that as a child? Yes, he did. He started doing that when he was, uh, oh, no, younger. He was a younger child, uh, maybe when he was six or seven, he would uh, be playing with his mates, and uh, he would uh, tell, he'd ask them what they wanted. So they'd want certain fruits out of season and so forth, and he'd pick them off the tree that they were sitting next to. The tree is still there, by the way. Oh, my gosh. So, uh, so they want a mango. Well, it's not mango season. He said, oh, yes, uh, yes. He would pick a mango and hand it to them. So he, he's been doing that his whole life. He's had that, that uh, ability to just grab things out of thin air. And how did he explain it? <clears throat> he explains it this way. He said, I, uh, and I, a lot of people ask him this, and the, the theme of the answer is that I think it. So I think it, and it happens. Hmm. Uh, one day he... So that's uh, kind of what we all believe, but his is much higher speed than ours. That's, well, you know what? <laughs> I, I used, if you talk about uh, one time at uh, Findhorn, mm hmm you know, I, I was looking at the story of the people that founded that place, and this is a, you know, Findhorn is a spiritual center that's founded really on terrible land. It's not arable hardly, and it's uh, you can't grow crops on it. Mm -hmm. But the people there wanted to grow their own vegetables and live as a spiritual community. Right. So they uh, would think it, and there's several persons, three personalities primarily, would think it so strongly that after a couple of years, things would change. Mm -hmm. And they followed their intuition, their uh, intuitive. They followed little oh. voices in their own heads, too. Yes, they'd, oh, yes. And they, they not only that, but they became very adept at that. And they, you know, how it is, it's really a very down-to-earth processes. Once we practice it long enough, we, we learn that stuff. It's kind of so they, bringing through things from other dimensions, too, isn't it? Okay. Huh? So I think with their, in, those case, in their case, they brought that energy finally through all of that thinking. It took them two or three years to grow those beautiful vegetables. Well, mm -hmm. in, in Sai Baba's case, he thinks of it, and instantly it's there. Isn't that wonderful? He, uh, one time, uh, I and four other men were sitting there at his feet in his own private room. This is the room you know, within which I uh, have sat within 20 feet of the door of this room for the last 20 years. But uh, he was sitting there talking with us, and it was after a huge celebration where three million people had come. Ooh. I know. You know, so talk about crowd. Yeah, tiredness. really. Yeah. So he sat down and he cracked a joke first. He said, how many miles of Padanamaskar, which means he walks through the crowd and people can touch his feet, how many miles of Padanamaskar must I walk? And we all giggled. And then I said, Swami, I said, uh, oh, and at that time, he was just opening a, uh, a, a huge, huge water project. It's the, pri it's the largest private water project ever created on the earth. Hmm. Like this was hundreds of miles of cement aqueducts to bring fresh water to villages all the way from there to another huge city uh, in India. Hmm. So, uh, so we just finished that, and the second hospital had just come online. The first one had been going for five years or so. And, uh, and, and he had uh, had them build an international airport there in this little village in South India. Hmm. So everything was happening. And then these three million people came. It must have been a big, big birthday, because I forget exactly the occasion. So anyway, he had us in there sitting, and my my question, my first question to him was, "Well, Swami, I said, uh, what's your next project?" 
and he sat back, and, and he, you know, he's always wearing like a dress. He sat back, and he and he made the motions with both of his hands as if he was sweeping crumbs off the uh, the the lap of his dress. He's always said, "I'm not thinking. I am not thinking." <laughs> and in that means that he as soon as wonderful. he think of something, it would happen. <laughs> <laughs> so what? Ha- um, tell me very quickly because we almost have to be done here. What was it like teaching at the university? Is it a good university? Is it accepted? World yeah, over. It's a, it's a fine quality little university. Uh, there may be 1,400 boys at that campus, and then there's a girls' campus uh, 12 or 15 miles away that has, I forget, maybe half that number of girls. But that was the first uh, campus, was a girls' campus, by the way. Wow. But anyway, it was really nice. It was uh, one day I was lecturing there, and I uh, thought to myself, well, you know, this isn't really much different than uh, the lecturing that I did at UCLA or Cornell or whatever, except that I, I looked out the door, and at that moment there was a little family of monkeys walking by on their <laughs> knuckles looking in at me. And then uh, I looked down at my feet, and my feet are bare. So, you know, standing in the so – so it's not like the States – here, I, I thought it was because I was feeling uh, at ease at that moment, but it's really quite a different uh, situation. And who goes there? Is it people who live in the ashram or is it locals? No, it's uh, people from all over India. As a matter oh. of fact, from all over the world. They'll always have a couple of uh, Westerners uh, from South America or North America. And with a spiritual tone to it, or is it just... It's a, it's, no, it's really a uh, yeah, spirit, heavy-duty spiritual tone, but more of a uh, uh, character so the the primary objective of the university is to build character and then to do some great teaching. Wonderful. Now, I I came back one time and I was trying to find a, help my friend over there, the dean, find a uh, a graduate school for his son in the states. So I, I have some friends at UCLA and I talked to the admissions office there and they said, well, we don't. I'm sorry, we don't accept any students from India at all. Then she said, We've, uh, the list of schools we accept from is very, very small. She said, what's the name of the school? I said, well, this probably isn't on the list, cause it's, and I told her the name of the school, such as our university. She said, oh, yes, that's on the list. Oh, yeah, we'd be glad to accept them here. Oh, good. Well, that's a good comment. So it's a, yeah, it's a really fine, very bright students. They're very uh, motivated, directed, very thankful. Uh, they're just wonderful. Uh-huh. Well, we have to close, unfortunately. Are you going to go back, you and Louise? Will you be headed back to India, or are you just going to do it all not remote because it certainly is in the moment and present, isn't yeah, it? We don't know. We, uh, I think there's going to be a, a sorting out time over there now so that I don't want to really be close to. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a new director of the trust who's a wonderful old fellow that sat next to me on the veranda, and he is the ex-chief justice of the Supreme Court of India. Oh, wow. So he's you know, so he got an impeccably trustworthy person to be the chairman of the, uh, so, so they'll do wonderfully. I know the, they're all such devoted people. So they'll they'll do great. Uh, they'll probably have their human kind of foibles uh, enter into it here and there and so forth. But I think after it all settles down, then we'll go back and we'll get a feel for how that place is going to be as a, it's going to really end up as a spiritual tourism spot probably. Mm-hmm. Did you love India? Loved it. Loved it. We did, well, India, not so much, but our part of India, we loved it. This this whole, as we said earlier, the whole adventure, this being there in the lap of love for so long and having that seep into us, and, and not only that, but through the assignments that he gave me, finding the, the tools and the pathways to lead ever higher into divinity, it's, it's a impossible to describe uh, the the happiness in us about that. Wow. Well, I feel touched by it, and I'm so grateful for your time with us, and uh, look forward to hearing any more books that you're going to put out. Maybe you'll do one on Sai Baba. Could be. We don't know Oh, yet. by the way, could, you know, there's, a, there's people who are interested in Sai Baba can, uh, can contact his bookstore here in America. It would be an easy one. Okay, it's online, Sai Baba Bookstore? No, it would be, uh, I think it's called uh, Satya Sai Books, USA.org. Satya Sai Books, USA.org. Yes. I'll look it up myself. Okay. It might be uh, info at Satya Sai Books, USA.org. Wonderful. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Jack, and to your wife as well, to Louise. Oh, thank you okay. so much for all your experiences and your sharing. It's really our pleasure, Veronica. Thank you for asking. All right. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Ah, Sai Baba. 
for his transcendence into many other dimensions. I'm sure he's going to do good work from the other side. This is Veronica Entwistle thanking Jack Hawley and thanking all of you. If you have suggestions of guests for this wonderful show where we're getting to meet some people making a difference on our planet, please email me, Veronica at Veronica Entwistle, no H in Entwistle.com, Veronica at Veronica Entwistle.com. Or if you'd like a session with me and my guides and angels, Veronica at veronicaentwistle.com. And stay tuned for next week on Paradigm Shifters when we're going to again meet Dwal Cool through Kathleen Kingdon. I'm really excited to hear what his perspective brings to us. Tune in next Tuesday at 8 o'clock. Dwal Cool. Good night.